we live in a time where true heroic role models are in very short supply. We live in a time when young people are making idols out of movie stars and famous, sometimes even infamous celebrities. Under these conditions, what the media and the marketers have done is that they were ready to crown anyone who does anything that's remotely heroic. Learned about the dad of a second grader who heard that um, when the teacher asked, who are your heroes, he put down his father, and the father was so surprised and so mesmerized, and he asked his son, he said, son, why did you do that? He said, because I couldn't spell Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) That's about said it. So we come to this part in a series of messages of a transformed identity in Christ. When Peter is saying to us, that when it comes to true heroism, that when it comes to perfect modeling, when it comes to an example par excellence, you do not need to go any further than Jesus. For as a true believers in Jesus, we have one only true hero. We have only one true role model. We have only one true example for us to emulate. And while the world would hold up the sports figures and the famous singers and and famous celebrities uh, as heroes, there is only one true role model who is worthy of the name. Listen carefully, please. While fame and prestige is worshipped by our culture, we only worship one true hero. And today I want to show you what a true model, role model, really looks like. While the media measures success and popularity and by money and even greed, true heroism is found on selflessness and self-giving and a total trust in the sovereignty of God. The bottom line is this. Often what the world may perceive as failure, God calls success. Let me give you some few examples. For those who have followed their model, Christ, those whom the world viewed as foolish or as failure, and God in heaven said they are true success. The Apostle Paul, we often forget that he was one of the great scholars, a prominent leader in the community. And of his day, he had fame and fortune, and yet he chose to walk out of all this and not only follow Jesus, but serve Jesus. The executioners severed his head on the Appian Way in the center of Rome, and the world rendered him a failure, but God said, he is a success. Every one of the apostles, except for John, they were martyred for Christ, and they considered it a privilege to be called to suffer and be martyred for Christ. Rome considered them all a failure, but the heaven says they are success. During the English Reformation, in the middle of the 1500s, the Archbishop of Canterbury, a man by the name of Cranmer, together with his two bishops' friends, Latimer and Redley, they were burnt at the stake simply because they were preaching that salvation is by faith alone. Just as the fire was enveloping them, 
Latimer was heard to cry out to his friend and say, Play the man, Master Ridley, for by God's grace we will light a candle in England as we thus blazingly die that will never be put out. The world called them failure. God called them success. And today there are millions of African Christians owe their Christian faith to the successors of these reformers who took the gospel into the dark continent. There was a young lad by the name of Jamie Douglas who was carrying provisions for a group of Christians who were holding in a cave because of their persecutors. And when he was captured and tormented, they held him over a cliff with the threat of throwing him down the ravine if he would not lead them to his fellow believers. Looking down this deep ravine, the young lad said, it is not so deep as hell. I will never tell. That would have been called foolishness by the world, but God saw this young lad as a great success. This is to say nothing of modern-day martyrs for Christ. If the coming days are going to bring us anything, most likely they're going to bring us a desperate need for heroes for the faith of Christ. The question is, will that be you? Will that be you? Will that be me? Turn with me, please, as we follow in this series of messages from 1 Peter to chapter 2, beginning at verse 21. 1 Peter 2, beginning at verse 21, all the way to 25. In the last message, we saw the responsibilities that we have as men and women, boys and girls, whose identity being transformed to that of Christ. And the responsibility is very simple, that we are to be a blessing wherever we go, whether it be in our homes, in our neighborhoods, to our nation, to the communities, that we be a blessing regardless of where it takes us, wherever we go. You know, back in the days of Noah, when I was growing up and I was going to school, they gave us little booklets or little books. And on the top of the book, there were bold letters, the letter J and H and so forth. And then for the rest of the page, there were faint dotted lines that if you trace those faint dotted lines, you'll come up with the same letters as on top of the page. And in the same way, our hero, the Lord Jesus Christ, has given us these dotted lines. And if we trace the dots, we copy Jesus. And in verse 21, he begins by saying, for this you have been called. What is this? For this you have been called. Now, there are some people say suffering. But the construction of the sentence does not lend itself to this interpretation. There are some believers suffer. Thank God for most of us, it's a temporary situation. Thank God for most of us, we don't suffer all of our lives, although there are some people might be called to do that. But he's not saying you are called to suffering. He is saying you are called to this. This being that Jesus suffered and died on that cross And by submitting to the will of the Father, He gave us a role model. He gave us an example to follow. He called us to emulate Christ no matter where He takes us. 
we are called to place our feet in the footsteps, the mark of the footsteps of Jesus, regardless of our circumstances. He called us to model what Christ has modeled for us to our children and to our community. Now, here in this passage, Peter is quoting from the Old Testament, particularly Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 was a prophecy about Jesus 700 years before Jesus. But there's something else here I don't want you to miss. This passage, that is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 25, five verses. Those five verses are actually the hub around which the entire epistle revolves. Uh, those five verses, 21 to 25, are the cornerstone upon which the whole epistle is built. These five verses are the very core of the entire first epistle of Peter. Some of you may be asking, well, if that's the case, why didn't he start with that? Why didn't he begin with the cornerstone? Why did he begin with the core? Ah, great question. (laughs) Because Peter wanted us to first understand our primary call. He wanted us to first revel and delight ourselves in the blessings of God that this call brings to us. He wants us first to be so overwhelmed by the privileges of the call of Christ on our lives. He wanted us first to rejoice in the blessings that we have received from His hand when He called us. And that's why we started with the sevenfold blessings. In fact, that is why if you go up a few verses, verse 9, He said, we were called out of darkness into light. Many people describe themselves as followers of Jesus. Some people use it accurately, some people don't. Politicians are marvelous about this. They talk about being followers of Jesus, particularly around election time. (laughs) They don't understand that following Jesus is not a slogan. Following Jesus means that they are actually following Jesus' footsteps wherever it may take them. Following Jesus means that they're actually following the model of Jesus in every way. And that is why Peter said in verse 9 that we were called out of darkness. Before we could be followers of Jesus, we have to be called out of our darkness. Then and only then we can become true followers of Jesus. Hear me right, please. Have you ever been in a pitch black room. I mean, it's so dark you can't see a thing. You can't see your hand in front of you. You can't see anything at all in that room. And then you hear somebody's voice saying, follow me. What's your reaction? (laughs) Excuse me? I don't know where you are. I can't see you. I don't know where you're going. How can I follow you? I can't see a thing. Don't worry. Just follow me. How can I follow you if I can't see you? Ah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Really? Are you living like Jesus? Have you been called out of darkness into His marvelous light? Or are you still living in darkness? I heard people in a professing church, people that I personally knew, I had meals with, and they thought, well, we're followers of Jesus. 
And the next breath, they're making fun of people who call themselves born again, which means they're called out of darkness into light. And I had to scratch my head. They are just like the person who's in a dark room whistling Dixie. They are like a person in the dark room. They're basically running in place and going nowhere. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to emulate Him in every way. And here Peter gives us three, at least three, areas in which we can emulate Jesus if we really claim to be truly followers of Jesus and not just use it as a slogan. First of all, by not taking matters into your own hand and do your own vengeance, even if when you have the power to do it, even when you have the opportunity to do it. And secondly, by waiting patiently for God's justice to be manifested. And thirdly, by never, never compromising or denying biblical truth regardless of the cost, regardless of the price. Let's look at these very quickly, those three. By not taking matters of revenge into our own hands. In the last message, we saw that when we suffer injustice and we have no recourse, we need to trust God for the outcome. And here Peter is building on this. He's building on it. And he's saying, if you are looking for an example in this matter of injustice that you have suffered, look no further than what Jesus did. Learn how Jesus did it and copy Him. Follow the example of Jesus in such matters. Again, you need to look at the context. As I told you last time, Peter was writing in the context of a total dictatorship. Back then, Christian, so when they become victims, they have no recourse whatsoever. No court system that at least have been founded on biblical principles, or no judges like we do today who at least have a smittering of biblical knowledge. Back then, there was no justice for believers whatsoever. In our case, we can pursue all legal means, and sometimes we get dragged into courts, not by our own will. But if and when that fails, listen carefully, if and when that fails, we come to a dead end and face injustice, what we must do is follow the model of Jesus. Hear me right on this one. It is when those in authority exercise injustice. It is when the courts of justice promote injustice. When that happens, then we must emulate Jesus. How? It's Jesus' cry to the Father at the Garden of Gethsemane during that time of the greatest injustice that has ever taken place ever in human history, greatest injustice that has ever been perpetrated on humanity. In that garden, He said, if there some other way, when the only sinless, perfect, pure man God Jesus was spat upon and slapped on the face and lashed and whipped and made to carry a tree on his shoulder on which he was nailed, he did not take revenge. He could have. And Peter's saying, I lived with him. I know he did nothing wrong. 
I know he was perfect in word and in, in action and thought. And he could have called upon the Father to send the legions of angels, and they would have responded and showed up. But he didn't. Why? Because if he took revenge, which he could have, he would not have paid for the price and the wages and the consequences of your sin and my sin. Don't ever forget, Peter was there. He watched it all. He watched it all. He caved under pressure and denied Jesus. In fact, in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, I am an eyewitness to all of this. No doubt Peter was thinking probably as the Holy Spirit inspired him to pin those words at the time. He was thinking of the time when Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus was telling them about the cross and the crucifixion and how he must die, then rise again. And Peter wanted nothing of that. He did not want to hear that. None of them did, but Peter was verbal about it. And Peter wanted Jesus not to go through the cross. And Jesus called him a mouthpiece of Satan. Then in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter pulled his knife and chopped the ear of one of the soldiers, still hoping to stop Jesus from going to the cross. And Jesus said to him, put your sword away, Peter. This is not the Father's way. The Father's way is always different from Satan's way. The Father's way is always different from the world's way. Satan is the god of this world, and the people of Satan believe that violence is the answer, but the Father's way is love is the answer. The people of the world say revenge is the answer to all relationships, but the Father's way says vengeance is mine. Leave it in my hand. The people of the world say, get them. And the Father says, let God take care of them. The people of the world say, get them before they get you. And the Father's way says, be like Jesus. Trust me with the outcome. Trust me with the outcome. First, following the footprints of Jesus means that we not take revenge, even when we can. Even we have the opportunities. Secondly, following Jesus' footprints means is waiting patiently for God's justice. Now listen to me. If you think I'm going to tell you that this is easy, waiting for God's justice, you would be wrong. I'm not saying that. I know it's hard. You know it's hard. Let's be truthful about it. Especially when man's justice has completely failed. Nobody, nobody on the face of the earth who's treated unjustly could ever say, I have been more unjustly treated than Jesus. No one. No one. The worst injustice you could ever experience in this lifetime, it could never be more than that of Jesus. The best among us is subject to bias and, and self-serving attitude. The greatest among us is a subject to self-deception and wrong motives. God, my witness in heaven, I agonize in prayer. I agonize every time I'm making a decision, big or small. I agonize in prayer so as to examine my motives and cry out to God. But I cannot tell you that standing here today, that every time my motives was always 100% pure. 
And so, my beloved friends, if and when you suffer injustice or treated unjustly, you could never say, I was 100% pure. None of us can. Only Jesus can. Verse 22, Jesus was the only sinless, perfect, and pure. Why? Because God the Father demanded that only a perfect sacrifice will suffice to carry the sin of every repentant sinner. And because of the Father's demand, this incomparable injustice took place. Now I have a question for you. Does this mean that God approves or condones injustice? He was Himself the victim of His own injustice, but He never condones injustice. But here's the fact. No one, no one, no one will ever get away with injustice sooner or later. Sooner or later, they will face justice. But Jesus waited patiently for this justice to take place. And then, as we know, on early Sunday morning, the Father raised Him from the dead with every one of His omnipotent power. Not only that God thus assures us that He is the God of justice, and His justice will take place sooner or later, and that justice will be done for us if we trust Him with the outcome. No matter how long it takes, He is going to come through for you. But also His Word assures us again and again and again that even greater justice for Jesus is yet to come when He comes back not as the one who was humiliated, but as the one who will be the supreme judge, not as the one who was insulted and slapped across the face, but as the God of power and might, not as the one who helplessly hung on a cross, but as the one who will stand upon the crest of the earth, not as the one who was dragged before Pontius Pilate and Herod, but as the one who will rule with an iron scepter, not as the one who is the Lamb of God, but as the Lion of Judah, who is going to put all his enemies as his footstool. That is the complete and final justice. And so, my beloved, God is the God of justice. No matter how bad you're experiencing injustice right now, justice will take place. Be patient. Be patient. Because one day His justice will rule supreme. His justice will flood the earth like the water cover the sea. One day all of your suffering of injustice will be rolled like a scroll. First, don't be anxious to take revenge even when you can. Secondly, wait patiently for God's injustice. And thirdly, following Jesus' footprints means that you stand firm for the truth regardless of the price, regardless of the cost regardless of the consequences. Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus could have fudged the answer and would have worked. He could have saved his neck. He could have compromised just a little bit. 
He could have said to himself, you know, I know who I am, and it doesn't matter what this guy thinks, and I just kind of shade the truth a little bit. I'll just tell him what he wants to hear. I'll give him a politically expedient answer, and I'll get out scot-free. No way, Jose. Jesus said to Pontius Pilate, you said it, buster. Pontius Pilate asked Jesus again, do you know that I have power to set you free and power to kill you? He's a use of translation, not on your life. (laughs) You have no power of your own that's not given to you. Question, why did Jesus didn't just become ambivalent about this question? Now watch that word, ambivalent. This, my beloved friend, is a word that is preached in many an evangelical pulpit today. Be ambivalent about things that we're not sure about in the Bible. Watch for that word. Watch it, and you'll be surprised. It's so subtle. We can't be really sure of everything. We can't be really sure what is sin and what is not sin. Uh, We just need to be ambivalent and tell people we don't know. Beloved, you know and I know that there are some people who would compromise for a dollar. There are so many people who would compromise to escape an insult, let alone death and life. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus? Before you answer, and you say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, ask yourself the question, do I refuse to compromise my biblical conviction regardless of the cost? In politics, there's what they call the art of compromise, and that's fine for politics. They say, go for the full loaf and then settle for half a loaf. They say, you know, a deal is always win-win. That's wonderful. That's great. But, beloved, listen to me. Not when it comes to the eternal biblical truth. There can be no half-heartedness. There can be no half-price. There can be no discount price. There can be no compromise. The world says loving people means that you love their rebellion and their sin. The world says loving people means that you love their godless lifestyle. That loving people means that you must love their immorality. Those who truly call themselves followers of Jesus must lovingly, thoughtfully, and graciously say no and a million no's. For God made only one way for sin to be dealt with. He made only one provision for sin to be taken care of, and that's by confessing it, by repenting of it. That means that you must believe that it's His stripes on that cross that made you whole. Only His wounds can bind our wounds. Only His stripes can mend our brokenness. Only His death can raise us to a new life. Only His blood can heal the ravages of addiction. Only the cross can redeem us from sin and the consequences of it. By His wounds, you've been made whole in every way, in every way. But that's not all. When you come to Him, He will not only heal your broken heart, He will not only do that, but He will keep on healing you. He will keep on healing keep on binding your wounds. He keep on being the shepherd of your soul, the bishop and the overseer of your soul. He keep on being your heavenly Father. 
Today we have bishops who sit on thrones and wear crowns and issue edicts and pronouncements, but not the bishop of our soul that Peter talks about here, not the overseer of your soul. He deeply cares for your every need. He deeply cares for your future. He deeply cares for everything about you, for it is by His wounds you have been made whole. The bishop of your soul nurtures you by His Word. The bishop of your soul strengthens you with His Holy Spirit. The bishop of your soul guides your steps when you ask Him to. Now think of how so many people, when they mess up, instead of running to the bishop of their soul, run back to Jesus. They run away from Him. No, I did. I was thinking about this and thought of a true story that had taken place many years ago. It was Louis XII of France. People conspired, and they ended putting him in prison and tortured him. But in the prison, he really got to know Jesus. And so when he was set released and was restored to his throne, he made the list of all the people who were through their mischief. He ended up in prison and tortured. He made the list of their names on a scroll. And next to every one of those names, he put a red cross. In his heart, he has already forgiven them, and that's what it means. But when these people find out that he did this, they ran and they left the country, thought he's going to take revenge. Jesus doesn't want you to come to him so he can take revenge. He wants you to come to him because he loves you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to restore you, and he longs for that. Can you truly say, I'm a follower of Jesus' footsteps? Can you say, where He leads me, I will follow? Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org. 